Hello, everyone, and welcome to the October 13th, 2019 episode of The Preacher and the Atheist. My name is Ben, the eponymous atheist, and with me, as always, is Gene, the eponymous preacher. How you doing, Gene? I'm great, Ben. Okay, so we're going to jump right in. Uh, so we are with the October 13th readings, uh, and we are starting off in Jeremiah again, just like we were last week. This is chapter 29, verses 1 uh, and 4 through 7. And basically, we are after the sacking of uh, Jerusalem by the Babylonians. And this is basically Jeremiah just saying, this is what you guys, the Israelites, is what you guys got to deal with for the next while, and here's how you deal with it. And the way he says it is, uh, quote, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat what they produce, take wives and have sons, and, you know, end quote. In other words, just continue living. You know, right. This is right. what you do. So, right. uh, and eventually it'll get better. Well, you know, uh, Ben, uh, we let's trace trace the arc that we've talked about the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, we had a prophecy from Amos not long ago, which was saying things are really bad and the exile was about to happen. And he was talking about the folks who were going to be the first who were carried into mm-hmm. exile. Um, that was the rich people and the yep, uh, idle rich. The idle rich on their beds, their ivory beds in Samaria. Um, and then we had... Uh, last week, we had the book of Lamentations. We had a reading from Lamentations, which was after the sacking has happened and Jerusalem is in ruins. Well, what are you going to do at that point? Well, take time to weep. Right. That was you know. that was very much in a grieving sense. Absolutely. You're not really looking forward yet. You're still just dealing with what happened. Deal with the reality of what's right in front of you. And there is a time to grieve about stuff and <clears throat> not give people false assurances that, oh, it's going to get better or try to deny what's actually happened. And now we're at another place in this historical arc, and that's, <clears throat> pardon me, that's Jeremiah. And you'll notice that um, this is a letter uh, in verse 1. Uh, it tells us that this is a letter that Jeremiah, who's still in Jerusalem, he sends this to the remaining exiles um, uh, the, the the elders uh, in the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets. So it says that Jeremiah is not the only prophet. You know, there were there were court prophets operating at the same time, and all the people. So the folks whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So Jeremiah is over in Jerusalem. He hasn't been carted off. The the cream of the society has been taken by Nebuchadnezzar into Babylon. And here's what Jeremiah says to them, and and it's in the form of an oracle, a prophetic oracle. This is a a message that he says he's gotten from God. Um, And then, as you say, well, what you just quoted a little while ago, which basically was settle in because this is not going to be over anytime soon. That's part of the message. And then if you look at the um, last verse of today's passage, Seek the welfare in the city uh, and... Uh, its welfare will find your, that, no, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. That's exactly right, which is Jeremiah's way of saying, look, y- your fortunes, because you are a small group of exiles, uh, pretty much powerless within uh, the Babylonian uh, social structure, your welfare is completely dependent on the welfare of, of Babylon, so, yeah, pray for its welfare, because if it goes, if it, if it prospers, you prosper. If it starts to get into difficulty, you're going to have trouble, too. 
Right, because there's no there's no telling exactly how long you're going to be there. And Jeremiah, no. unlike the no. other prophets, he was not as optimistic as the other prophets. Correct. You know where he was saying, "Nope, you guys, you know, get get ready to be there, and you know you're going to have kids where this is the only home they're going to know." That's right. All right, yeah. and and so I guess there's a kind of subtle message of hope embedded in here, which is Jeremiah is saying life will go on even under what you think would be the worst possible conditions. You don't have your homeland anymore. You don't have your temple anymore. You don't have the ancestral land that you had before. You don't have the social organization that you had before. You're surrounded by people speaking a language you don't speak. You know, even under those uh, conditions, which are really bad and and we should never uh, minimize them, Jeremiah is saying, life, if, if you want it to, life can go on, but you have to make the decision to do that. And that's why he says, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat what comes up, so on and so forth. And he says, you know, multiply there at the end of verse six, verse six multiply there and do not decrease. He's saying, don't give up. You know, go on being God's people, even in the midst of exile. Now, you know, Ben, lots of people have found these words of Jeremiah to be uh, hopeful because religious people have found themselves to be uh, exiles, both physical and literal exiles, but also they perceive themselves to be in exile even if they haven't been physically uprooted from where they live because conditions have so deteriorated around them that they feel like, what world is this we're living in? You know, this is a, this is an awful world we're living in. And uh, Jeremiah is saying, even when you feel that way, keep going. What's interesting, like w- w- the connection I just made here, and I wrote it down earlier when I was doing the prep for this, and then when we talked, I figured this would go away, but you just brought up something that is pretty much the end to the Voltaire book, Candide, mm. where it's, you know, basically it's this, group of like bright-eyed children uh, who go on this world whirlwind. Uh, if you want the shorter version of it, just go uh, to Leonard Bernstein opera that is delightful, <laughs> yes, by the way, yeah, yeah. Uh, where they go through all the garbage in life. Uh, they get kidnapped. They, get, you know, all, and then they end up back home, essentially, like, which is a little bit different, but like it's ransacked and it's like, well, what do you do? Well, you go and build a garden. Yes. You know? And the, yes. the big end of the whole uh, the big uh, show-stopping number at the end of the opera is Make Our Garden Grow, which yes. is a gorgeous choral piece. Yeah. And yeah. that's the whole thing. It's about you just you just do it. Like you just you you live and you build your house, you chop wood, you you, you try to maintain write. some kind of thread of normalcy. Some sort of you know, and and we've got stories uh, you know better than I um Stories that have come out of, say, the the period of, of the Holocaust, mm-hmm. where in the midst of absolutely awful conditions, um, people were trying to find some element of kindness. I'm talking about the prisoners here. Mm-hmm. Uh, with each other, sometimes it happened between prisoners and guards. Um, but they were trying to find uh, some degree of of the life they had before, which was not brutal uh, and 
horrific and uh, a life of deprivation and suffering and loss and misery that they were experiencing then. And I think that when people, you know, people always ask the kind of philosophical question, you know, is life basically good, life basically bad, you know, that kind of thing. I, I think passages like this and stories like that, and Candide, you know, the example you used earlier with, from Voltaire, the humans have, have, have collectively said that the normal is good. That, and what I mean by that is the normal, the norm is planting gardens, having kids, having enough to eat, having enough to, you know, secure homes, you know, all that kind of stuff. Pretty much what has made the human race successful. Human. In the, it's successful in the sense that it reproduces and, you know, and, and, and dominates and, the ecosystem. But, and does so in such a way that it isn't accompanied by endless bloodshed and endless conflict and endless strife that that has always been seen and is still seen as not the norm. And, and Jeremiah is saying, try to do your best to preserve the norm, even under conditions of exile. And the ironic thing about the whole thing that you're saying is, is the reason Candida was even written was it was a satire on the, the optimistic... Yes, Dr. Pangloss. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the, the optimistic. This, this is the best the of all. The, right. This is the best of this all is, possible worlds. Because that was what the Catholic Church essentially was saying, especially after this horrible earthquake that happened in Portugal in, in, around in, that in time. Lisbon. This is the mid 1700s. Yes, and where though they're saying no, this is all God's plan. This is all the best of all possible worlds. Right. Well, what what Candide kind of flipped on there, and again, it doesn't seem like it's a very clever thing, but you got to remember this is the mid 1700s. Well. If this is the only possible world, then this is simultaneously the best and the worst exactly. of all possible worlds. Hence, the whole the strangely optimistic and uh, like steadfast ending. Uh, it, it it may be the best of all possible worlds. It may be the worst of all possible worlds. But the burden of making a decision of how you are going to live in that, whether it's the best or whether it's the worst, remains. And that's what we see here. We see these Jeremiah basically saying, you still have to make a decision how you're going to live, even under conditions of exile. I guess there's a, you know, maybe there's a little bit of existentialism in here insofar as unless you're just simply going to commit suicide, you, that, don't, you don't have the option of not going on. You know, you're going to have to go on one way or the other. Dwarf. Uh, and he's like deformed and like, there's all these, you know, things he's not very good looking, you know, despite, you know, Peter Dinklage in the TV show in the books, he was much uglier. Uh, but somebody asked, so why don't you just end it all? Yeah. And he goes, death is so final, <laughs> whereas life is full of possibilities. Correct. And I thought that was just such a wonderfully simple way to give a reason at any point where no matter how bad it gets, Right. You know, why you keep going or why you, you know, you, you want to see what tomorrow essentially brings. Correct. You know, because if you're, you know, if you're cast into exile and you're, you know, kidnapped by a bunch of Babylonians that, you know, you don't know their names or you probably can't even pronounce their name. Right. Uh, and it can see, everything can just seem like it's going to get worse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a distinct possibility of that. But, you know, it, it hits rock bottom at some point and then it's only better. And the only thing that you can do is go on. You've got to, uh, you've got to make it, every single person 
has to make a decision of every single moment of every single day, how are you going to live? It will not do to simply uh, cast yourself into the abyss of irresponsibility because you say the world has gone to hell. Yeah, that's the that's the that's the fatalistic point of view. It's a I, it's a cop out. Yeah, I hear that from a lot of uh, more my my more liberal friends right now, where it's like you know you know just burn it all down, you know kind of. I'm just like no, that's no 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 no. Well, I mean that that's an option, you, but but that is that's an option that you're choosing, and uh, to a lot of us that doesn't look like uh, particularly helpful. No, it's not. It's you know it's you know it's kind of like uh, tr- how trolling co- culture has kind of become a thing where it's not. You know, you're not being any kind, doing anything constructive. You're just tearing down. Like, right. And it's, right. You know, it's it's. You know, I hear this. This is a, one of my big criticisms of a lot of libertarian arguments too, where they're saying, you know, well, well, why 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 don't you just you know burn down the public education system, you know, and it's just like and replace it with what? Yeah. You know, right. It's like, exactly. You know, it's, it's you know, it's like I get in this argument with people sometimes, and it's like, well. You know what a charter school, you know, when charter schools are actually successful, they look a lot like public schools. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah, I find, I find that very funny. Because when you, when you, right. I'm just like, well, you know, if you regulate them the right way, oh, you mean like public schools are regulated? In fact, right. pu- you know, anyway, I don't want to yeah. go down that rabbit hole. But it's a... Um, but the point is you have to, under whatever conditions you're on, and that's really the gist of the Jeremiah reading, whatever conditions you have to be living under you are called to make the best of those conditions, not to contribute to the worst of the circumstances. And the that's ho- what you're called to. And the how of this comes into Timothy. Okay. Uh, so this is in Second Timothy. And basically, uh, it's, it's the writing and it's Peter, correct? Right? Or is it Paul writing? Uh, this is Paul writing. Paul writing. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so this is Paul writing to Timothy. And it's essentially... A, a just kind of a list of a logic chart a little bit, where it's like, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. Well, make sure if. you know who the him is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. Jesus. Yep. Obviously. J- the Christ. The Christ. Mm-hmm. Just like the Ohio State, maybe. <laughs> the, well, Ohio, I, I, the Ohio State University. Well, actually, if you talk to the people from Ohio State, it's the... the never mind. Yep, so exactly. Anyway, we're another, not going to go another, another rabbit hole. Here we go. Uh, oh, yes. Okay, so then... Uh, if we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Right. You know, this, it's all these if-thens, if-thens. Even yep. though they don't technically say then, but uh, it, but it's it's pretty simple instructions. You know, it's, you know yeah. yeah it's, and, it's, and, and Paul's saying to Timothy, look at the opening of the passage, verse 8. He says, it starts by very simple instructions. Remember Jesus Christ. Okay. That's, okay. you know, th- three simple words, and that kind of frames the rest of this passage. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, a descendant of David. And Paul is hanging on to something very important there um, by that phrase, a descendant of David. Yeah, I find, I find that interesting because that's his, that's like his human father. Yes, well, you know... Um, Quote, unquote. I, you can't see it. I did the little air quotes there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Those, of, those of you not with the microphone, you, you didn't see the air quotes. But... Um, Paul never, and here's where, you know, Christians kind of get at one another um, over what I'm about to say. Um, Paul, neither Paul nor Jesus, nor any of the first generation of um, people we know as Christians, repudiated their uh, ancestral faith, which was Judaism. 
And that's what it means to be a descendant of David. Uh, Paul is uh, reminding Timothy that Jesus was uh, a descendant of David. Now, partly the reason Paul is doing that is not just to affirm Jesus's um, ethnic identity, but rather to make the point that God had promised deliverance to the Jews from a descendant of David, and God had kept that promise. And that's why Jesus is called the Christ, which is the anointed, that it, which is the translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. So that's what Paul's—see, the, there's a lot packed into this uh, in, in just a few words. It's very economical writing. And, and it's then, very dense. It's yeah. very dense, and, and then notice how that verse ends. That is my gospel. So it's not complicated. You know, remember Jesus Christ— raised from the dead, there's the the Christian Easter message, a descendant of David, this is uh, part of a long tradition of God's reaching out to the world, that's my gospel. That's Paul saying that. And then it goes on for a little bit, but, yep. it's, but it's not like it, it, it gets complicated. In fact, it even says, don't make it complicated. Yeah, you know? he does. It yeah, says look. a little bit later, uh, quote, uh, warn them before God that they are to avoid wrangling over words, which does no good, but only ruins those who are listening. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah so, okay, know, that's, a, that's a lesson for us, too. <laughs> oh, well, it's, it, it's, it's hard because in the academic world, it was like, we love quibbling over and, semantics. And, and look at religion. I mean, for crying out loud, you know, look at the way religion, you know. Yeah, because we were saying, I was we, and when we were prepping, I was saying it, it's, it's ironic that this is in here because there are so many different sects of Christianity right. that— you know, and and some of them, you know, I think like the like uh, Lutheran, like Lutherans, was because one guy hated all the work, like hated all the uh, the, the little rules that, that that the Catholics came up with. So he started his own church. You know, they, yeah. I mean, he didn't intend to, but that's the way it happened. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was trying to fix up his own church. I mean, Luther, you know, wanted to stay a good Catholic, but the, you know, he couldn't. Uh, yeah, he kind of headstrong. Um, yeah, and, and with the you know when the, when the bureaucracy essentially overpowers the, the, the scripture. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, um, if you and the the way it went historically is is again kind of ironic because what Luther was trying to do was fix up an institution, and the historical result was uh, just a splintering of mm-hmm. the institution, and and it just falls what we know as, as the Reformation, falls into sectarianism. Um, you know, the Lutherans don't agree among themselves, and a bunch of them break off in Germany and go down into Switzerland, and they become what are called the Reformed tradition, Reformed Christianity, and people like Calvin is probably mm. the name most associated with, with the Reformed Christian tradition. They can't agree among themselves, um, and so they continue to split, and, and it goes on and on and on. There's this well-known chart, and you know, I'm in the United Church of Christ, and one of our historians put together a chart back in the late 60s that shows where the United Church of Christ came from, from New Testament times, and it's just this amazing um, weaving in and out and continual sort of splintering, and then coming back together, and then splintering again as people agree and disagree. Some of it's about words, as you say. It's a wrangling over words. And this is the warning that we didn't pay a whole lot of attention to. <laughs> Among <a few laughs> Among others, that's right. On the other hand, uh, the words, words do have meaning, as you know, as you well know. 
you know, you're a professor. Um, what is the, the one question that, uh, you know, has more meaning in a classroom than probably any other? And that's the question, will this be on the exam? Oh, I thought it was something like, uh, is this on the syllabus? <laughs> okay, maybe things have changed well, it, it, since I was in the classroom. I, oh, yeah, I, I, I shut that down real quick. <laughs> right, uh, so you know the power yeah. of words, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so words do matter. Um, actions, but, but in this passage, actions matter more. And so when, Paul, you mentioned that, that series of if clauses, those conditionals, if we endure, we will also reign. You know, if we have died with him, we will also live with him, and so on and so forth. That's um, not just words. When Paul says, for example, and, and it's interesting in verse 11, the saying, we don't know who's saying it. Uh, you know, obviously this is something that, that is sort of floating around the Christian circles that, that Paul uh, is involved with this, and, and that Timothy also knows. The saying is sure, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. You can't do that with words. You know, Paul is talking about the way you live your life in imitation of the self-sacrificial life of Jesus the Christ. And you can't do that with words. That means you actually have to walk the walk. You simply can't talk the talk, as they say. Um, So Paul says, don't uh, get lost in... um, language. Um, Pache, who is it, Wittgenstein, who said we live in a linguistic universe. Human beings live in a linguistic, have I got that right? You know philosophy better than I do. Uh, I don't know if that was philosophy, but I know a, a tenet of cognitive science is that most of our mental processes are manifested in language. In language. And, and, and again, I mean, the Bible takes language very seriously. You know, I mean, look how creation, look how the Bible presents creation. And God said... Let, Let there, there be, be light. And all that stuff was. But I, again, back to kind of the ironic part of this is because so much is different in different translations. We use a very specific translation of all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And there are plenty of differences in specifics mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to just the translations. And we had, a, we had an entire episode where we talked about the different translations mm-hmm. of the Bible. Mm-hmm. We, did. Uh, we did. So th- that's just, you know, that... You know, that could be an entire season, probably. Right. But if you go behind the translation, there there has to be some kind of reality behind those. Right. Otherwise, I, the translation is not going to work. Right. Because the, you know, the, there's a theory in CogSci and linguistics that uh, a thought in one language can't actually be completely accurate in a different language. Yeah. Uh, so there, there, there's that whole complication that goes along with it as well. So we're always dealing with degrees of approximation. Essentially, yes, uh, uh, but we don't have a choice. You know, otherwise we just fall into silence, or we just sort of just keep clubbing each other you know, out of misunderstanding. Yeah, it's something. Uh, something. Uh, what, what was it called? It's like uh, non-accidental properties is what the the concept okay. is. Where right. it's like you take a little bit of information and you kind of fill in the rest mm-hmm. because it can only it most likely will be these things based on whatever your experience was leading up to that. So if it's uh, you know that's kind of like how your whole field of vision works in a way where you know you you you've probably heard of, uh, you know, you, when you look at something, you only look at something about the size of a quarter in your actual mm, vision. Yeah. And then, but so what's happening with everything else is your brain's kind of just filling in the gaps, you know, where you, um, you know, uh, because it's, it's just going to assume things are going to be a certain way based on experience, based on experience. And yeah. it's, you know, it's, you know, that's how it's evolved to be able to do so much stuff. 
yeah. uh, and use the least amount of energy. Like when I teach uh, the, my, I teach a music cognition class, and I said your brain is trying to do two things at the same time. It's trying to never be wrong. And it's also lazy as hell. <laughs> so you can imagine like all the, like the, 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 the processes that, it, the, that, that save energy. Yeah. And so anyway, that, uh, so all that to say, I'm going to throw that back to, to you. Talking, talking about words. That, yeah, talking that, about that, words, yeah. That, that, okay. The so quibbling, the, yes. the, the quibbling, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, Paul, to, to follow up on that, Paul is saying, present yourself, um, as uh, what does he say? Remind them. Do yourself. Do your best. Do, it's interesting. Do your best. He doesn't say just present yourself. He says do your best. Try your best to present yourself to God as one approved by Him, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. And there's where he's saying, you know, what are workers known for? They're known for their product. They're mm-hmm. known for what they produce. So you know, after you've done your talking, talking, talking. You know, who is it? Is it Eliza? Yes, it's Eliza Doolittle. Words, yep. words, words. I'm so sick of words. Isn't have I got that right? Is Actually, it, yeah, that was uh, uh, that was uh, with uh, what Henry Higgins, right? Yes, yeah. it's a Rex based, Harrison based based on Pygmalion. Pygmalion, yeah. What, what, what was the thing that they? Well, anyway, but you get the idea. <laughs> at, at at some point, uh, while words are important and are not to be dismissed lightly, um, it it does come down to the living, and in that sense, the Second Timothy passage is related to that extent to the Jeremiah passage, where it does come down to the living. You know, you can say, "Oh, as we as we saw last week in Lamentations, oh look how terrible this is. Oh how awful this. You know how how awful sits the lonely city who was once you know a mother to you know to many and all that. Uh, the way that Lamentation passage begins." Um, and, and you may need to do that. You may need to talk just for the sake of expressing grief or expressing uh, anguish. But at some point, you got to get on with the living part. you got to get on with the doing part. And Paul says to Timothy in this passage, do it in such a way that you're not going to have anything to be ashamed of. Um, and that's what uh, really this is, this is about. You know, mm-hmm. l- live your life so that you're not... Uh, going to be ashamed of anything that you have to give an accounting um, of, and that almost that, that pretty much leads us into the Luke then mm. a little bit. Okay, where it, it's it's more about like who, almost like who gets the credit mm. uh, of, of of directing your life, or or like how, like what are you like what are you basing the how you're living. Uh-huh. On because you know even back in the Timothy, um, it, you know it's saying it's it, these ifs all have to do with faith. All of uh-huh. these ifs are all about like, well, are you, are you, are you making sure you're working for the man upstairs right. or are you working for yourself? And you know right. just back and forth. Right. Um, and even if you know, and in in, in in the Timothy, it even goes so far. To, even if you are not, yes. You know, if you are, if we are faithless. Yes. He remains faithful. Right. So even if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, it's like... The, the standard is still there. Yeah, the, everything is still there. And that's what the Luke is really kind of hammering home here, where Jesus runs you know, runs into 10 lepers and tells them to go do one thing. They all do it. Actually, I don't even think they have to do anything, do they? Uh, show uh, yourselves to the yeah, priests. Yeah, he just says, go yourself. And as they went... They were made clean. Yeah. 
you know, and you know that one of the alternative readings for this week is the story of Naaman, which right. we had talked about some we did some that time one a ago, while ago. Yeah, where he has to bathe, and you know, the prophet tells him to go bathe in the River mm-hmm. Jordan, and he gets all yeah, you that know, was snarky uh, Isaiah, about it. correct? Uh, there, no, I think it's um, that was uh, uh, Elijah or Elijah? Elijah, Elijah or Elijah? Oh, it was Elijah. Remember. Yeah, yeah. And um, so Naaman, you know, he gets all snarky about it, but um, here uh, Jesus just kind of implicitly heals them. Uh, notice from verse 13 to verse 14, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were made clean. So there's no ritual they have to go through. He doesn't lay hands on them. He doesn't make any kind of gestures. He doesn't, you know, get into a rhetorical dialogue like he does with some of the other folks and says, you know, what do you want? And so on and so forth. He just does it. They, he, they ask for mercy. He grants it, but he doesn't make a big deal of it. Then we come to the kind of sting in the story, which is one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back praising God with a loud voice because when you were afflicted with what the Bible calls leprosy, which was probably a different kind of disease, um, the name of which escapes me at the moment. Um, Regardless, they were probably, you know, they, they, they had a disease where they were just like they were exiles. Oh, they were Exi- ostracized. Like, yeah, ostracized I, I, society, I, I, yeah. Absolutely. Um, you they, know, they I, didn't even get to go to the regular hospital. I, I learned this word a little bit ago. They probably went to what's known as a lazaretto, which oh, yeah. is which is yes. where the people with the most infectious diseases would go, yeah. and it did yeah. not have great. No, yeah. in fact, there's some there's some uh, stories about uh, these places. Uh, sometimes they were even physical islands that people were yeah. shipped off to because of the great fear that the people around them had of contagion. Yep. Um, and There's so long stories about Hawaii, certain Hawaii Hawaii islands were leper example, colonies. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and those leper colonies, the conditions were extremely bad. And God bless, uh, in all sincerity, God bless the people of missionaries, usually, who were brave enough uh, to go into these places and try to bring some relief to the misery that these folks were experiencing. So this guy has been shut out from society. He is he may very well be poor. He's very likely to be poor because you know nobody would give him a job. Um, and now that he's been healed and he can uh, resume uh, or or have a place in society, he is thanking God for this because this is a big deal. I mean, he can actually perhaps for the first time in his life get on with that life that Jeremiah tells those prophets uh, those those. Uh, uh, exiles to get on with about building houses and planting gardens and ha- getting married and having kids and doing all the stuff that you and I take for granted as normal. And this guy is just now getting this, and it's because of what Jesus has done for him. So what would you think to do in that situation? Most of us would think, wow, you better say thanks. Well, well, and he didn't thank Jesus. He thanked God. Uh, but then he thanks Jesus in verse 16. Right. You know, like later yeah. on he does, but he yeah. first thanks. He starts with God. Absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. A- absolutely. Because he's he's aware that whatever the, the, the force is that has healed him, ultimately it comes from the divine. And I find it interesting also that, you know, you know, one out of ten was 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 grateful, and then nine out of ten just went along their merry way and either, you know, maybe give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they thought it, you know. But, but they didn't do anything about it. They didn't do anything. They didn't. Right. But they didn't, like, they didn't acknowledge it. That's right. Out loud. And so. 
and it gets even worse than that. And, that, and that's not good, you know, when 90% of the people uh, don't even have enough decency to say thanks. Especially when you're, it's leprosy. Right. I mean, this is not a small thing. No. Right. This is a major thing. And their lives have been restored to them, and they don't have the decency to say thanks. So that's, that's problem number one. And then in verse 16 at the very end, we got problem number two. The guy who did the thanking was a Samaritan. And that is a real problem for the people who are listening to this story or, or yeah, who are going to be told this story because it's preserved in the gospel. Because on top of having leprosy, he's a Samaritan at the bottom rung of the society. Right. And he was also the only one that okay. was grateful. Exactly. The outsider, he's an outsider. He's an outsider partly because of his disease. He's a he's doubly an outsider because of his ethnic background. Oh, yeah, definitely a twofer. Yeah, he's a, the poor guy is a, is a total twofer. Now, remember, we got probably the most famous parable in the New Testament mm-hmm. is the parable of the good, and that's all I would have to say in public, and everybody in my church right. would all shout out Samaritan because they all know the story, the title anyway. So, but And, and so now we get a second story about uh, a Samaritan, an outsider, who does the right thing, just as that story of the parable of the Good Samaritan. He's the guy who does the right thing. And we've had the priest and the Levite who cross on the other side and don't help the guy who's mm-hmm. fallen among uh, robbers and has been beat up. Um, there is also another story that isn't as well known, and that's Jesus and a woman at a well in Samaria. Um, sometimes it's in the Gospel of John, sometimes called the, woman at the, uh, the Samaritan woman at the well. And that's a famous story of an encounter between Jesus and a woman where they have a long dialogue about who God is and what God is and who Jesus is and what life is and who you're supposed to be worshiping where and all that kind of stuff. And she really looks, looks like a pretty sharp theologian. Um, and she also is a Samaritan. Um, so there's this, this theme uh, throughout the New Testament that is... Um, directed toward uh, Jewish people around Jerusalem mainly, of these outsiders and the outsiders that they don't care for, Samaritans, getting it. They get the faith, they get gratitude, they get uh, that God is uh, a spirit, Um, they get that compassion is supposed to be the way you live your life. Um, Whatever obligations you have, um, if you see someone in trouble, if you see someone in distress, it is incumbent upon you to help. Um, So you may be late for your meeting, or you may have to go through a ritual of purification or something like that. You may have to put yourself out. But none of that excuses you or relieves you from the obligation to show compassion or mercy. And the Samaritan in the parable of the Good Samaritan seems to understand that, and the insiders don't. And so in these stories, we, we seem to have a pattern here of people who should understand that, you know, these nine lepers, um, but don't. They, they're, not, they're not getting it. And one of the things that I think Jesus is pointing to and the gospel writer is pointing us to is the blinding effect of privilege. Yeah, blinding especially in terms of how exactly you show gratitude because that is, that's really one of the things that binds these three 
these three passages. So if we go back to the Israelites in Babylon, they're shown they, they like you need to show gratitude uh, to seek welfare and like for this for this in the city. Otherwise, it's going to get even worse. But in more importantly, you show your gratitude just by living. Yes. You, know, yeah. you show your, and that's and that's gratitude to God. You know, you yes. you, you know you're showing uh you, you're showing what you're showing your gratitude by being by, by being existing the, the thing that God made you to be. Right. And then, you know, Timothy gets a little more uh, granular with this mm-hmm. uh where like you show gratitude by doing good work. Mm-hmm. Like uh you know, the approved workmen are not ashamed, which is the old uh, the old, the Awana club. That... You may you may explain what Awana is. Oh, Awana, uh, so Awana here. strangely enough, uh I was raised Catholic and but I was a member of the Awana club. Uh, for a number of years, uh, I had a friend of a friend who invited me, and it was it was an interesting point of contention and it, be, between my my Catholic stepfather and myself mm-hmm. um, that I didn't understand until I was in my twenties, mm. to be honest. Mm. And uh, but anyway, that was uh, I'm not going to go too far down memory lane with that. But you know, I did that for a few years, and I don't remember much of it. And it, I don't know. I'm not going to say anything. Uh, no value statements about it. So, um, but anyway, uh, but those good works and however uh, humble, whatever they are, uh, and keeping them simple too, you know, mm-hmm. to to show that gratitude. And then, you know, the the most obvious kind of gratitude, thanks. Just just say thanks. Just say right. thank you. Right. You know, right. Like there, there's many different ways, and it's that ungratefulness. It's the it's the right. opposite of this. Yeah. That causes so much issue you know it's what makes somebody selfish is it's what makes somebody privileged right. you know it, it's one thing to be privileged and to acknowledge that uh it's another thing to not understand what exactly it does you know as mm-hmm. you mentioned it's uh, it's very blinding mm-hmm. it you know? can it can have that effect and and uh you do have to be very deliberate if you want to overcome that blinding effect once you realize that you are privileged. Um, I, I mentioned to you earlier today that I went to see the Downton Abbey movie, and one of the scenes near the very end of that movie is the famous Dowager Countess, played by Maggie Smith, saying to her granddaughter that she has lived a very privileged uh, and interesting life, and she's aware of it. Um, now she has tried over the course of her life um, to live that life not only with privilege but all the responsibilities that come with privilege. And that's um, where we often drop the ball. I mean, the fact of the matter is, Ben, there are lots of things that you and I can't do uh, with regard to the privilege that we have. You and I are born into privilege, yeah. Uh, for a variety of reasons. You know, you, you and I both happen to be male. You and I both happen to be Caucasian. Uh, you and I both happen to be fairly well educated. Um, you, know, you know, we could go down the list. We could continue on down that list. Um, the, the, you, yes, you and I did have to work to get through undergraduate school and graduate school. Yeah, we did. But the fact of the matter is, the fact that you and I have the ability to read books, the fact that we can sit and concentrate long enough to be able to work through problems and to be able to answer essay questions and write a doctoral dissertation, the fact that we can do that, um, despite the hard work that went into it, 
that is a privilege that other people don't have. This is one of the elements, uh, especially when you're stu- studying philosophy, mm-hmm. and you realize that almost all the philosophy that you ever study is out of Europe yeah. uh, or Brazil yeah. uh, at, or Eastern Asia. Mm-hmm. And you kind of realize that nobody ever really writes philosophy or that is very well known out of Africa. Yeah. Uh, the entire continent, yeah. you know, not, you know, not to, you know, so you never hear of the great Kenyan philosopher right. very much. And I think a lot of it has to do with that privilege. Right. And it, I'm not talking about white privilege here. It's just, it has to do with the, the focus of existence, mm-hmm. you know, where there it's very much, uh, there, a lot of these communities are more nomadic where it's, you know, you're more concerned with just the day to day. You're more concerned with growing your garden and you're more concerned with, you know, just being, you know, a, more of a, a, a tighter community and creating art and mm-hmm. like all of these elements where like the, the high-ended philosophy stuff that we, that we in the Western society think about just never occurs. They're like, okay. Which is not to say that people don't think correct a, and don't reflect because they certainly do. Oh yeah. The, the griots of Western Africa are, are incredibly profound. You know, mm-hmm. that's actually one of the bases of uh, modern hip hop. If you actually trace the actual musical roots of mm-hmm. the, the hip hops and 80s, you can actually trace them back to West African griots. Okay. You know, there's a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, G-R-I-O-T. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you like Googling that, it's really like, that's some really, really interesting history right there. Interesting. So, yeah. uh, but it's not one that is very well known because it's more of an oral tradition. It's not really right. written down. Right. But anyway... So when you think when you think about how blinding this privilege is, you know, and then you see that the only people that seem to like be actually thankful are the destitute and the, or the Samaritans, outsiders. the outsiders. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it it really does pull you kind of back into perspective. Like, what am I not being grateful for? Mm-hmm. Uh, because I just haven't had. I, I refer to them as blind spots. Right. Sometimes like, you know, like I I was having a conversation with a colleague of mine who's a lesbian and she was talking about one of those uh, religious freedom bills that Mm, was just passed in Texas where if she got into a car accident and the EMT was, you know, so desired, they could deny, you know, they could deny medical coverage. Like to, to, because they would violate their religion to touch a gay person or something like that. Mm. And what struck me the most about that was that that's not anything I would ever even have to think about. But for this right. individual, that there's a non... It might be a low chance of this happening. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Yeah. But it's a non-zero chance. And but, that's terrifying. But even, even as a point of discussion, even to consider the possibility that we would write laws that would allow that kind of um, inhumane treatment of another human being in the name of religious freedom um, should give us all pause about the way we do religion and are doing it right now. Uh, And that's part of what gave rise to these podcasts is because you and I have talked about how religion has gotten um, so tangled and so twisted and so turned uh, in on itself um, and knotted up. And in many ways has become um, and, and has a long history of, uh, uh, of being abusive, of, yep. uh, of being bad. Working its way into <clears throat> law right. and order right. and just right. the general it, political sphere. In, has, some of, in some of the worst ways. Yeah, and even you said earlier uh, off, off mic, you know, it, like the, the idea of separation of church and state is a relatively new 
yeah. thought. You know, this yeah. was right. Thomas Jefferson. Like right. That that, that right. phrase is not exactly in the U.S. Constitution. No, it's... But it was in a letter. It's in a letter that he yeah. wrote to the Baptists, right, yep. in Connecticut. You know, he referred to a wall of separation. Yes. That's, that's the phrase that he used. Um, and it's then now been built up into this, you know, concept in our in our legal and governmental oh, political... It is, the, it is the First Amendment. Yeah. That as well. Uh, uh, what... Uh, and my, po- my point was that... Um, in the in most of the history of humankind, this separation did not exist. That people and land and deity or religion were always together. They were always together, and so these things were always uh, tangled up. But um, I think for our purposes, with the lessons that we've got for for coming up this week, um, certainly one of the dominant themes uh, is. Uh, gratitude, um, living a life of gratitude. Um, another of the themes is um, who has a clearer perspective on that, insiders or outsiders? Oh, the outsiders for certain, yeah. because they don't have that same. They, I mean, they don't have that same blind spot. They can't know. take it for granted, right? Because, yeah. you know, it's you know, it, it's one of those things that you don't realize until it like pretty much slaps you in the face. And, you know, this is again, one of the elements of, you know, people always say about, you know, well, what's the purpose of like diversity training and like, what is the, what are the benefits of diversity? And, you know, I'm, I'm actually in agreement with the people that say, you know, diversity for diversity's sake Mm -hmm. is a bad idea. And I, and I'm, I'm actually kind of in there, but I, I also, but I'm also thinking in like a, like a policy mind Mm -hmm. where you have to have to show some type of outcome, Right. In order to like right. promote an idea, which, but you know, I'm all for diversity, and this is one of those elements where, you know, by by me talking to a le- like a, a person who is a lesbian, me talking to a black person, me talking to a Mexican person, you know, and hearing their perspective on things, right. and like that opens my mind right. uh, up to well, what else am I overlooking? What what is their perspective on this situation, or how to right. how does this decision make uh, like affect this individual differently than me, right. you know, it, because this is a person who understands gratitude, mm-hmm. you know, or can they can. can yeah. Can, uh, there's, can. there's jerks everywhere. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's a kind of reverse stereotyping. Right. 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 Yeah, I'm not, yeah, I, yeah, 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 exactly. You know, yeah. obviously everybody individual, sure, as an individual sure. is what sure. I'm but the saying. chances, but the chances, uh, if, if they've been an outsider, if they've is historically disenfranchised group. Yes. Then yes, the chances of uh, their being aware of gratitude uh, is probably going to be a little sharper, a little keener, a little mm-hmm. quicker. And that's where like the the Israelites in Babylon uh, and the um, uh, and the Samaritans, right? Uh, they, that's where they kind of get that gratefulness, right? And making that and the Jeremiah. So let's bring it back to the very beginning mm-hmm. and wrap it up. Bring make a circle out of this. That Jeremiah is taking that sense of gratitude and normalizing it. He's saying, just do the normal things, plant so gardens, build that, houses, have kids. Hopefully that new normal helps us, you know, be a little better to each other. And One you know, hopes. hopefully making us be a little bit nicer, because I think that's where we're going to end up today. So uh, thanks, uh, thanks to everybody out there for listening. And uh, thanks again, Gene. My uh, pleasure, as always. All right. We'll uh, hopefully be a little bit nicer to each other uh, as time goes on and uh, we'll see everybody next week hope so bye ben take care